Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Well, last week we talked about how the children of Israel had basically abandoned faith in God. Not all of them, but a a large group had. And Moses had been up on the top of Mount Sinai getting instructions from the Lord, the Ten Commandments, the law, and, and how to set up the nation when they got into the promised land. And so this group of them came to Aaron, the high priest, who was Moses' brother, and they said, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses, uh, but you make us a, uh, an idol, and that'll be our God, and we'll serve it. And so they gave Aaron a bunch of gold, and he made this golden calf, and the people worshipped it, and they threw this big uh, raging kegger, and there was all kinds of drinking and debauchery and violence and um, immorality of all sorts, and you can kind of figure out what was going on there. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and he hears the sound, and And he knows what's happening and he comes down and he finds all of this and he says, if anyone's faithful to God, come to me. And a bunch of the Levite priests rallied to Moses and and, uh, verse 33, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I have spoken of. So they, they, they got rid of all of the leaders of the rebellion, those who would not repent, those who would not back down, those who really doubled down on following this golden calf. And the Lord sent a plague, but now they need to leave. So verse 1, chapter 33, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a sniff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people and if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. So what's going on is God's still moving them along the journey. But a time of repentance is necessary. What do you do with sin in the church? And it seems to me that people tend to do one of two things. They say when, when, when someone is found out to be in, in serious sin, and we can understand that, that God is against all sin, right? But there is a major difference between uh, somebody, you know, somebody telling a lie and somebody going and, and stealing. We do understand that there's a difference. There's a difference between somebody gossiping and, and somebody physically harming somebody. So when I say serious sin, I mean sin that like has to be stopped and confronted and dealt with. And this has happened. And so what do you do? Churches have a tendency to do one of two things in my experience, and and, and I think this is borne out in history. Either they sweep it under the rug 
And maybe you know of situations like this where somebody did something bad. And instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, the church just kind of swept it under the rug or the family pretended it never happened. And then for the rest of time, you know, this kind of dark hidden secret hangs over. There's always the threat that it might be exposed, but it never is and it's ignored. And and then nothing changes. In fact, often uh, the person who was was committing the sin feels emboldened to do it more. And that's how you hear these horrible stories of abuse in the church. And, and as always, if you have been the victim of a, a abusive church or an abusive person within the church and, and the, the church was unhealthy or toxic and didn't deal with it, then I'd, I'm sorry. The other way that churches deal with serious sin is instead of sweeping it under the rug, they kick people to the curve. I have a friend who, who had some legitimate serious sin that should have been confronted and dealt with by his church. Should have been. And instead they just kicked him out. And they shut him out. And told people to not have anything to do with him. And he just kind of wandered. God doesn't do either with the children of Israel here. There was serious sin. The most serious was their idolatry to God or against God, that they rebelled against God who had delivered them from their enslavement and protected them and provided for them. And they rebelled and they said, we don't, we don't know about that. We're going to follow this, this golden cow statue that we made. But, but along with that came substance abuse. Immorality, and you can just imagine what was going on at this party. Pagan worship in those days, idolatry in those days, was almost always directly linked to immorality. And there was probably fornication, adultery, rape, violence. All of these things were probably going on. It's not unreasonable to assume. Marriage vows broken, bodies broken. It says that there was a plague. Because of what they did with the calf, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of STD outbreak after that, that whole event. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas, and it can affect other people. So God says, get up, and I'm gonna, we're going to keep going towards the promised land. But take off your ornaments your fancy jewelry, your nice clothes. And it's not that God has anything against looking nice, but he wanted them to enter a time of mourning for their sin. God didn't kick them to the curb. He kept bringing them to the promised land, but he didn't sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it head on. I'll tell you the truth. Most people don't want to do that. I have never kicked anyone out of Faith on Hill. I've never kicked somebody out. I've never said, you can't come here anymore. There have been a couple of people who haven't wanted to deal with their sin. And me and some of the leaders have sat down with them and said, hey, we're not kicking you out, but we're not ignoring this. This happened. We have to deal with it. There are hurt people. And they almost never want to, so they're gone. Not because we kicked them out. They didn't want to deal. You have to commend the people here that they mourned. Verse 7 
Mal Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now, why would uh, this line be in here? This is probably a, um, a scribe or a priest much, much later explaining or reminding, uh, inserting this, explaining or reminding, hey, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, but, you know, uh, we have a temple now, and so, or they did. And so, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on, is that they used to uh, have the tabernacle instead of the temple, and the tent of meeting would be set up outside the camp. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go up to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So you can imagine that all the people are camped out, and, and it wasn't some disorderly thing. Like you can imagine like a drone shot of, of a tent, you know, of all these tents uh, of these people that were nomadically traveling from Egypt to the promised land. And depending on who you read, you could have a few hundred thousand. Some people say it was up to two million people. But these large group of people in the wilderness, and you have the drone shot, and it wasn't just some kind of disorganized cluster of tents. They were ordered. There were rows. Uh, there would have been sort of like streets and lanes. God told Moses, here's how you have the people camp by their tribe, and then you divide the tribes into subdivisions and subdivisions, so there was some organization. And everyone, the way the tents faced were specific too. So Moses would, would put the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, in a way that everyone could see it. And so they'd stand outside their tents, and they'd look and see Moses go out to the tent of meeting. Uh, verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. So the, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So this was God's way of confirming Moses's uh, authority that God has called Moses to be the leader. Um, and here's Joshua, who is going to be Moses' replacement. And he is just spending time in the presence of God. I, I believe that one of the things that the more charismatic parts of the church get right is this idea of the presence of God. Now, they get a lot of things wrong about it, too, things I would disagree but I think there's this idea of the presence of God. Do I believe that I have to come to a building to experience the presence of God? No. Do I believe that the lights have to be turned down just right or there has to be just the right kind of music to experience the presence of God? No. One of the most impactful moments of my life experiencing the presence of God was, was driving my used Honda Accord on Interstate 90 in Bellevue, Washington. So the presence of God is not limited to a building or a place, but the, the bigger idea is this, that Joshua spent time there. He spent time there, dwelling in the presence of God. And if you want to grow, if you want to take on more in your faith, spend time in the presence of God. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. 
So even Moses, you would think Moses has got it all figured out. He's He's had the burning bush experience. He held out his hand and the the Red Sea divided. He's experienced all of these things. And he's saying, Lord, I need more of you. I need need more of you. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You know, the burden of being the leader of all of these people is probably getting to Moses. And he says, I need more of you. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with me, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. I believe that we are called to be different. We as Christians are called to be different than the rest of the world. The mistake that many have made is thinking that being different from the rest of the world is something outward. If I dress differently than the rest of the world, everyone else is wearing blue jeans, I'm going to wear a three-piece suit. Everyone else listens to this type of music. I'm going to listen to that type of music. Everybody else watches that TV show. I'm going to say, I don't watch any TV shows. Everything about my difference is outward. I, you know, I heard about a church that redid their sanctuary, and they decided to go with brand new pews, you know, the, the benches. And somebody asked them why they made that choice, because that's kind of, a, you know, an outdated choice at this point. I don't have anything against pews, personally. I, I like a good bench, but, but they made that choice. And, the, and somebody said, well, you know, the, the church is supposed to be different. I, I'll tell you what, if you think having a pew versus having a chair is going to tell everybody how different you are, I don't think you understand what that means. Moses says to God, we are supposed to be your people, and we are going into this promised land, and we're supposed to there show your glory and think about where God put his people where the promised land is the land of Israel is at the crossroads of Asia Africa and Europe I made a joke last winter uh, during a Sunday morning sermon that I think was misunderstood by somebody uh, but I said that you know Jesus when you think about it Jesus was Asian Um, and that's because we limit Asia to only be Eastern Asia, but Israel is geographically on the continent of Asia. But God put his people at the crossroads of human civilization. Asia, Africa, Europe. Alexander the Great went east. He had to go through Israel. Xerxes, the Persian king, went west. He had to go through Israel. The Egyptian kings would go to conquer and invade the Babylonians would have to would go to war. They would have to go through Israel. God put his people right in the center of things to show his glory himself to the world. And being different had nothing to do with being weirdos. It had to do with the presence of God. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us from here. How will anyone know, verse 16, that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? 
I want to be different than the world around me, but I don't want to be different just because I, I use Christian words or I dress a Christian way or whatever. I want to be different because Jesus is shown in me, and I want Faith on Hill as a church to be different because Jesus is shown in us. Now show us your glory, Lord. Then the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. There are people who look at the church and say, why do they think that they're any better than anyone else? And the truth is, we don't, or we shouldn't anyway. Jesus is better, and Jesus has chosen to have compassion on us. And he could have compassion on anyone else that wants it. They just have to say yes to Jesus' extended offer of mercy and forgiveness. Just repent of your sins and follow Jesus. Jesus is better. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. And then Yahweh said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you by my hand until I have passed. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. So the idea is, and, and we'll get to this next time, but the idea is that God's going to bring Moses to a place and then protect him because if Moses saw the glory of God fully, he would die, but he's going to at least give him a taste of it. No one has seen the Father except Jesus the Son. The full representation of God the Father is shown through Jesus. Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus said, Philip, if you've been with me so long that you don't know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Moses was looking forward to Jesus. But we have him now. And we know the Father because we know Jesus the Son. And we know the glory of God because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And there are times where God removes his hand for whatever reason. He says, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. But for whatever reason, there are times where God just removes his hand a little bit and people get a taste of his glory. Paul, the apostle, spoke of such things and he said it would be criminal to try to describe what I saw. Maybe you're saying, I haven't had an experience like that. Who's to say you won't? Moses asked. Moses asked. The, the, the key takeaway from me is this. Just like God put the people of Israel at the crossroads at the center of the world to show his glory, he has put his church in the world to show Jesus to the world. And we aren't different by silly outward things. We are different if we live surrendered to God and the glory of God, the love of God shines through us. That's how we are truly different. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of weirdos for no good reason. But God has put us and he's put you at your place of work. He's put you at your school. He's put you in your neighborhood. He's put you in your family. Lord, you've put us here. Show us your glory. Fill us with your spirit so that we might radiate Jesus to the world around us. Amen.
want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Thursdays. Audio versions are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video version is available on our Facebook page. You can follow Faith on Hill at Faith on Hill on Instagram and Facebook. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online. My name's Adam, and I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.